Um, we have just three weeks to talk through a study that uh, the stewardship team did over a many month period. So we're cramming a lot in in just a, a three week time frame. But last week, Mike kind of kicked us off with this generosity project, kind of defining what generosity is, what it means and why we ought to be generous. And we'll continue with that today. But hopefully it hit home to you that we serve a radically generous God, a God who saves us from, among other things, our selfishness, our greed, all through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and current reign of Jesus Christ. We have a God who has set us free, set us free to a new kind of life, a very different countercultural kind of life where we can love and be generous to others. And this is what Galatians 5, 13 to 15 is all about. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it briefly. But it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We have what sounds like a little bit of a paradox in there. We're set free to serve. You know, how does that work? What does that mean? Well, like Tyson taught us in his sermon last week, we're going to be slaves to something. We're either going to be slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. So this freedom, the word freedom that we have been given by God means that we are free to serve our master, but free to serve in a certain kind of way, free to serve without fear and free to love without fear and free to serve out of love and unto love. So those are the things we're going to try to think about together this morning. What does this new life that we've been given look like? What does it mean to live in freedom with the kind of freedom that can drive us to serve and love others instead of serving ourselves? So let's pray, and then those are the things we'll get into together. Well, Father, you truly are uh, a generous God beyond measure and beyond compare. I pray that the things we discuss today would be uh, edifying for us, that it would drive us to love and serve others in the way that you have loved us through the life of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. As a little bit of a, a prologue, Mike mentioned this last week, and I really want to reiterate we in no way are aiming to guilt you into giving the church more money. At all costs, I am trying to avoid being tacky. Uh, Mike mentioned last week how I mentioned to him, my last words to him before he came up front was, don't be tacky, okay? I haven't used that word in a conversation, maybe ever, at least 10 plus years, but when this opportunity came up for Mike and I to share with you what we've learned through the Generosity Project, which we were happy to do. It was a great study. But it also comes right towards the end of the year, kind of awkward timing with end-of-year giving. It also came on the heels of all kinds of extra giving opportunities that we've had here, be it for hurricane relief or Ukrainian resettlement, um, the Kings with the new vehicle for Ecuador or the Cameron and Roe Dobbins church plant, all this stuff coming at you. And now we're going to tell you, you really need to be generous, right? So after a, a decade plus of this word being in the back of my mind in the unused vocabulary section, the only word I could think of is tacky for the last few weeks. So let me say again, I don't want your money. If you offer me some, I'll take it, but I'm not trying to get your money from you today. We don't want to guilt you into giving more money to the church or elsewhere. 
And trust me, I've, I've been on the receiving end of a sermon where it seemed like the main purpose was to extract money from the people in the pews. It wasn't here, but I can distinctly remember this sermon where I was being chastised for stealing from God, and not only that, I owed him back pay for my unfaithful giving in the past. Now, there may have been some elements of truth in that sermon, and to be honest, I wasn't being very faithful in my giving at that time, so a, a better sermon would have done me some good, but the way that that one was delivered was and I don't believe it was God-honoring either. So rest assured, after these ADE sessions, you're not going to be flanked by our most intimidating deacons making direct eye contact with you and holding a plate. We're not trying to, to do that. That's not the point. Because what we don't want, what we're not looking to create is a church full of Pharisees that are just following the letter of the law to check the boxes or trying to make God's law actually achievable and completely miss the spirit of what God is telling us to do. If we think about the Pharisees, they're the obvious villains of the gospel, but they're the most holy and law-keeping among them. But Jesus throws some pretty harsh descriptors at them that he doesn't toss around willy-nilly. He calls them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. We could probably help turn you into a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs, but we don't want to do that. We won't, don't want you to be generous and resent it all along the way or to make you feel super accomplished in your generosity evil either that you are meeting this standard of God. We don't want you to turn into whitewashed tombs just ticking boxes because you've done something spiritual but then be spiritually dead inside. And if, for being honest, or at least if I'm being honest, not just particular to generosity, but this is something we all probably need to keep an eye on. I think many of us have these pharisaical tendencies that after being saved through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this new Christian life and we start to revert back into law keepers and we try to tick certain boxes of obedience, right? We're trying to obey the Ten Commandments pretty good anyway, check. Go to church on Sunday, check. Maybe join a life group check. Put some money in the plates, or in our case, these little receptacles, or even more spiritual yet, use the app for regular giving so you don't miss a week, check, right? But if we start to fall into this pattern of thinking of Christianity as obeying commands, not doing anything wrong, we've, we've really missed the central teaching of Jesus Christ with regard to the law of God. Uh, according to Jesus, the whole point of the Old Testament law and any of the commands in the New Testament as well is to teach God's people how to love, how to love God and love others. That's how Jesus sums up the law in Matthew 22. Now with regards to being right with God, Jesus, remember, is the ultimate fulfiller of the law and we're counted as righteous before God based on how well Jesus followed those commands, which was perfectly, but we do allow the moral law of God to love him and to love others become the normative paradigm for how we then live, how we live in response to that as those redeemed by Christ. So for us, the principle we get from these laws is about love and not about law. We keep the commands of God in order to love. It's not about law keeping, it's about, I almost said love making. It's not about law keeping, it's about love Love doing, <laughs> I suppose, okay, love doing. But that's what, that's what it's about. And Paul makes this clear in Romans 13. Let me read another one quick. Romans 13, 8 to 10. 
Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's what we're talking about in this study, a a faith-grounded, hope-filled love. A love for God that doesn't try to minimize what he's done for us in saving us by just ticking boxes, but rather a love that then seeks to reach out in generosity and grace to others as we have been reached out to in generosity and grace by God. One more thing to think about in the parable of the the Good Samaritan. We all know that parable. Uh, Let's think about the scenario more so than the actual parable, but we all know the situation. A man who's an expert in the Jewish law comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Importantly, he asks, what must I do? He's asking what he needs to do. So Jesus says, well, you know, what does the law say? Love God, love neighbor. So quick note, Jesus wasn't giving him gospel there. The guy wanted to know what he must do to inherit the kingdom. He's asking, how do I make sure I do this stuff so that I can be accepted by God? So he's asking the question, let's get specific. Who's my neighbor? Who do I actually have to do this stuff for? So since the guy is looking for the doability of the task so that he can work his way into the kingdom, Jesus cranks up the weight of the law and then tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan to give him just one extreme example of what this kind of love actually looks like. Now, ideally, the guy would have said, well, Jesus, showing that kind of love and generosity to like everybody that I come across is, is impossible. At which point then maybe Jesus would have hit him with the good news that Jesus himself has fulfilled that requirement for him. But I digress. My point is that the lawyer was asking the wrong question because he had the wrong mindset. He was thinking that he can merit his own salvation by meeting these requirements of the law. So he asked, okay, who exactly do I have to love to meet this requirement? Tell me precisely who I need to love to meet this requirement. And that's the wrong question. At least for somebody like us, like Christians, who have already been redeemed by Christ and saved by Christ for our salvation, which of course he was not. But for us, those not looking to work our way into the kingdom, our question should not be, oh, all right, who do I have to love to get this done? But rather, who can I be a neighbor to? So instead of asking, who do I have to love? Consider how we might live a life that has this as a mindset. Who can I show love to? So that's the point I'm trying to make, and that's what I mean when I say the principle is not law, but love. What we're talking about with the Generosity Project is love. We don't want to be in situations where every time we walk into a room, we're thinking, all right, what are the minimum obligations I need to meet here to be right with God? I hope you're not asking yourself that, at least not on a regular basis. I know more than anybody that I don't always do the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, but as as the Lord is making me and making you more Christ-like, Ideally, we can start to have this posture of how can I maximize my opportunities to love people? Now, that's going to look different in all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of different areas. But as a principle, this is going to mean putting to death, to use biblical terms, putting to death our, our overblown self-interests, our disproportionate pursuit of personal pleasure and success, and instead seeking to creatively be generous to others wherever we can be. It means 
actively looking for these opportunities to put other people before ourselves. And this is a, this is a pretty big paradigm change for human nature. We're, we're not programmed this way anymore. We need to be reprogrammed. Um, to use the biblical term, we need to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, as Paul says in Romans 12 too. The status quo for the world, we know this, is to look out for your own best interests. Look out for me and what's mine. Probably not try to hurt people intentionally or steal from them, though that's kind of an arbitrary position anyway. But the baseline position for the unregenerate is definitely not how can I give of myself to other people. It's a get what you can while you can mindset. Our goal, our mindset, as those who have been redeemed by God, when we interact with somebody should be how do I do good to you in a way that God has already done good to me? How can we love as God has first loved us? And that's where generosity comes into play. Generosity is a key aspect of this kind of love, to finally get to the word we're talking about today. Some definitions you'll find of the word generous I've seen are liberal in giving, which is pretty good. I saw one that was defined as characterized by a noble or kindly spirit. That's interesting. But the best formal definition of generosity I found was a willingness to give money, help, kindness, etc., especially more than is usual or expected. That especially more is, than is expected is a key aspect of that. But an interesting way that the book described it, which I liked even better, was that generosity is finding delight in bringing delight to others. So delighting in delighting others. That should start to be our temperament as Christians. Now the ultra-pious out there might say, hey, that means you're actually being selfish when you're being generous because you feel good about it. And have you heard those kinds of things? They boo you for being generous because you like it. Um, I would tell that person to stop being a wet blanket. Um, if you're giving to someone specifically to get something in return, sure, that's not a great motivation. That's probably not true generosity. But there's nothing in scripture that prohibits you from enjoying blessing others. In fact, I would suggest that they would say, the scripture would say, that's the normal response to being generous. Proverbs 11.25 says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And according to Paul in Acts 20.35, Jesus himself said at one point, you've all heard this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's no postscript to that that says it's better to, it's more blessed to give than to receive, but woe to you if you notice that and actually feel the blessing. Like all of the commands of God, all of the commands that he gives us in relation to giving and being generous, any, any command he gives us, following it always leads to our greater joy. So finding joy in being generous to others doesn't make you a hypocrite of any kind. I would suggest it means that you're probably doing it right if you are enjoying being a blessing to other people. If you, if you walk away from this and you say, all right, I'll go be generous, and you hate every second of it, I would suggest you're not doing it right. That's not, that's not for your joy, and I don't think God gets any delight from that. Because remember, it's about love doing and not law keeping. So with all that preamble, how do we actually do this? What does being generous actually mean? Well, in reality, there are countless ways that we can be a blessing to other people. There are thousands of different ways we can bring delight to others. But I can't just breeze past money. I have to talk about it. This is where you squirm in your seat a little bit. You can't fool me by trying to look stoic because I'm there with you. I don't like talking about 
um, money either. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I'm the paradigm of how to be generous with money that's far from the case. But I have to talk about it just because the Bible talks about our money so much. The Bible's not silent on our money, how we get it, and what we, we do with it. And when it comes to our capacity for being generous to other people, frankly speaking, money is the simplest, probably not the easiest, but it's the simplest way for us to bless other people. Money is just so liquid and flexible. It can be used for so many things to bring good to another person. Uh, the book describes money as a liquid form of power. Money is the power to, to do things or to have things done for you or to have things done for others. It's the power to obtain and enjoy things or to give things and contribute things to others. But first and foremost, money is not bad, okay? I think we fall into that uh, mindset frequently. Having money, being financially well-off, being successful in a business venture to the degree that you make a lot of money doesn't automatically make you the antichrist, okay? Um, we often hear scripture misquoted. We hear uh, money is the root of all evil. But that's a misquote of 1 Timothy 6.10, which says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So a love is going to lead you down uh, some bad paths. But assuming that you haven't sinned to get your money, you won't, you're not sinning because you don't have money, there's nothing inherently evil uh, about money. If, if money were so evil, it'd be really weird for us to tell you to give it to somebody else and thus bring a curse upon them. Uh, that's, a, that's a weird perspective to have. Uh, but ob obtaining wealth, having a lot of money as a result of your hard work, that's a blessing from the Lord, and it's also an enormous opportunity for us. Having a lot of money isn't wrong, but it is a responsibility. God's blessed you with this gift, and he doesn't intend for you to, to misuse it. He, of course, doesn't intend for you to put your hope in it, and he doesn't intend for you to hoard it. Now, he doesn't intend for you to irresponsibly give it all away either. I'm not telling you to, to do that. But in addition to using that gift from God to meet your needs, it can also be used freely, not under compulsion, because that's not generosity, but it can be used freely to bless others in all kinds of ways. To help us do that, to help us be generous with this gift we've been given by God, one of the suggestions in the, the book and the associated videos was to actually be more intentional with your budgeting when it comes to generosity. So when we're considering our finances, we're looking month to month, what are the obligations that we need to meet? Uh, what are the things that we would maybe like to do? What needs to go into savings? All those kinds of thoughts. Are we taking time to consider how we can regularly be generous with what we have? Now, if in your present season of life, you're frequently finding that there's too much month left at the end of the money, it's going to be difficult to be generous with your money right now, but that's okay. We'll talk in a minute about generosity beyond money. But if you are one that has been blessed by the Lord to have money left over each month after all of your true necessities and obligations are met, I would submit to you, consider asking yourself regularly, how can I invest in the gospel with what I have? What can I do to help advance the gospel? How can I be generous to other people? How can I be generous to the local church or other organizations that would see God's kingdom advance? Now, if that sounds a little hard, which it often does, um, it's hard to think about 
what that money could be used for for myself, for my own family, versus trying to think of giving it away. Thinking of giving it away is difficult because, you know, that money could be used for, for, fun, for fun stuff. It could be used to take the family on a vacation. It could be used for a new car. It could be used um, just for planning ahead, which is nothing wrong with any of those things. But one of the, the concepts that the book mentioned that is something to keep in mind is that generosity often goes hand in hand with contentment. I don't mean that you shouldn't start being generous until you feel content. Uh, it often goes the other way around. Oftentimes it's the process of being generous that helps us become more content people in, in general. Generosity is kind of like an antidote to our natural tendency to be tight-fisted and to hoard things and accumulate things for ourselves. So practically speaking, if you're looking to be generous, what that means is rather than saying, okay, should I forego X or forego Y to be generous, which would already be a good start. Instead, it would be start by being faithful in your responsibilities and then immediately after ask the question, all right, how can I be generous here? Like maybe even over the top generous to somebody that I know or to some organization. And what I think that you'll start to find is that having been generous in that way, you start to not really worry about what that money could have been used for anymore, how it could have been spent on yourself. So as a, as a practice, consider, be faithful first off. Of course, never skimp on your responsibilities for the sake of being generous, but be faithful, then be generous, and most likely you'll find that you're cultivating this lifestyle of contentment, which then enables you to continue to be generous month over month, year over year, for your greater joy, for the blessing of your neighbor, and for the glory of God. Uh, Proverbs is such an interesting book. Uh, a lot of things that seem so counterintuitive, um, but one of those things is Proverbs 28:27, which says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So this is an idea, when you're, when you're generous, God tends to take care of you. Now this isn't some silly promise that says if you write a $10,000 check to something, expect to find like a secret $10,001 in your pocket or something uh, of God exactly replacing what you gave away. But what it might mean is that the very act of being generous and giving to the poor or whoever around you leaves you a feeling of being satisfied. You don't feel the need anymore for the bigger house, the new car, the, the newest phone or whatever. Again, not that any of those are, are bad things, but God may start to relieve you of some of those things that you feel like you need for yourself. He'll relieve you of those burdens through your generosity to others. All right, I'll stop talking about money for a minute. Because what else? Because it's, it's not all about money. Money is just one form of currency that God has given us that we can use to be generous to others. There are lots of other valuable commodities, so to speak, that God gives us that we can um, spend for other people, such as maybe our expertise in an area or our experience in life. We can be generous with that. We can be generous with our ability to show care to people and our hospitality. Really what the, almost all of the other things beyond money come down to is really one of the most valuable commodities maybe that we can give to people and one of the most difficult ones, I'd say, in our day and age to give to people. And that's our time, like our unhurried time and our undivided attention. And this, this brought up another interesting concept in the book, one that I hadn't personally thought about. We just mentioned a minute ago about, you know, budgeting money for being generous. But... Um, 
have we considered, maybe you have, I have not, have we considered applying the same sort of budgetary mindset to those other commodities that God has given us in terms of how we can be generous to others? Have you considered building a a budget, so to speak, around your time and intentionally setting aside time to be generous? Uh, In our culture, with our TikTok attention spans, we're very busy and it's often very difficult for us to sacrifice time for the sake of others. So what this would look like would be to intentionally perhaps set aside X number of hours per month specifically where you can be generous to others. And I would suggest if you're going to do that, maybe be specific. You don't want to set aside four hours and then just go stare at somebody, but consider setting aside time where you can use then those gifts that God has um, given you, the spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with. Set aside the time to share those with others. So how can you budget your time in service of the gospel at perhaps the local church. Do you know how to fix stuff? Are you a handy person? Well, could you budget time to serve here at the church to help us fix stuff and use your handiness? Do you have a car? There's people that have trouble getting around. You could budget time to basically be a taxi service for people to get them where they uh, need to go or to bring something to them. Or maybe for the, the younger adults among us that have perhaps a surplus of energy that some of us are starting to run low on. Could you budget time to serve in, say, the after-school program to help wrangle the kids that are running around? Or do you have um, maybe more emotional energy than the average person does? Could you budget that to serve people through either formal or informal counseling to just spend time and talk with them? The, the list goes on. I mean, there are countless ways. Everything that God gives us material or immaterial, is something that he would have us use to love and show generosity to others in service of the gospel. That's kind of what we do, right? That's what Christians do. We, we, being Christians in general, sacrificially give of ourselves for the good of those around us, or at least that's what we should do. That should be the mark of a Christian. Some of you might be thinking, that sounds a bit overwhelming, and I'm not meeting that standard. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. If everything that I'm saying here kind of sounds like a lot, that's because it is, and you might be feeling a little bit convicted by it, but that's not my, that's not my intent. I'm not trying to beat you up here and say, why aren't you being as generous as we're discussing here? So I don't want you to walk out with your, your shoulders because you're not measuring up. So another reminder, first, the Lord meets us where we are, not where we should be. So today is a great day to start being generous. But even more importantly, if you truly are a Christian, your standing before the Lord isn't based on how generous you've been in the past or how generous you might be um, next week. Your standing before the Father is based on how generous he has already been to us in the giving of his son. So don't let your main takeaway be today, all right, I guess I'll start giving more money to stuff and I'll volunteer for these two ministries. Then first Mike and Chris will get off my back. And then I'll also be like a level three Christian and God will shine his face upon me. I'll crank up my works. That'll do the trick, right? Another reminder, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works per Ephesians 2. So here's here's my little bit of advice to you. If you are feeling like you're falling short in the generosity space, like me, you feel like maybe you're not seeing enough good works in your life right now, so you're going to try to just crank up the works first. I would suggest instead of rushing off to do a bunch of works to try to check boxes, take a little time to reflect on your faith, 
to see if maybe it's your faith that needs to be given new life. Ask yourself, what do I actually believe about God? Because what you believe about something will determine how you act. If I believe that an airplane does have the ability to fly through the air, I'll go ahead and get on it. My behavior of getting on the plane is based on what I believe about the plane's ability to stay airborne. And even if that faith is pretty small, the plane is still big enough to get me where I need to go. But if I don't believe at all that the plane can fly, I don't believe the science, I don't believe the pilot knows what he's doing, I don't believe any claims that the plane is making about its own ability to fly, I'm not gonna get on. That's gonna impact my behavior. So if you're not seeing any generosity-flavored fruit in your life in light of your Christian confession of faith, don't start navel-gazing or don't white-knuckle it to try to crank up the works, but put your eyes on the plane. Put your eyes on Christ. Do you believe that he is the Son of God, that the, that the Father himself sent his Son to die for us, and that Jesus himself is a member of that triune Godhead? Do you believe that his perfectly lived life and substitutionary death was actually for you? Like, not just that it happened, but that it was for you specifically? Because if not, this generosity stuff doesn't really matter. Um, do it or don't, it doesn't really make any eternal difference. But if you do believe those things about God, reflect on that gift that you've been given, and then consider how he would have you respond to the people that he's placed in your life out of love and out of thankfulness for what you've been given and not out of compulsion. Tend to your faith and I think the works will come. Got a little sermony there, but I'm up here, so I guess that's loud. With that, I want to transition to um, a video. We, we did talk, a, a, we talked about money, it was super comfortable, um, but I want to say it again that this new generous lifestyle that we have this lifestyle that we're called to isn't just about money, and really it's not even mainly about money. It's, it's a perspective and a mindset and a posture that we have that is expressed really in all aspects of life and can be expressed in a multitude of ways. We just need to be ready for it. If you ask the Lord, Lord, please open the door for me to be generous, rest assured that's gonna happen. And it's gonna happen from all kinds of angles. We just need to be ready to respond to it and respond with the love and generosity that we've been given ahead of time. So I wanna share this clip. It's one of the videos from the Generosity Project. It's just a part of it. You can actually view all of these at generosityproject.com. But this is gonna be a story about an asylum seeker from Burundi, which is in East Africa. He found his way into Australia and he was blessed with all kinds of generosity from a church there in Sydney. It's a really cool story, but as you'll see, it's not all about throwing money at the problem. There was some money, sure, but maybe during the video, um, be thinking, or maybe during the ride home, have a point of reflection. Let this kickstart your thinking of ways that you could creatively show generosity to anybody that the Lord puts in front of you. So let's go ahead and do um, that video. Africa, landing in Sydney with a heavily pregnant partner. So we arrived on the 22nd of May 2013, two weeks after our daughter was born. 
then we landed here in Manri. It was a temporary accommodation, and that's how, miraculously, I ended up to this church. A week after, Aniki was also admitted to Manri Hospital. So when she was discharged again, the hospital couldn't find a taxi with a car seat, a baby car seat. So we decided to walk. I had a car seat empty and I saw them trying to organise a taxi and I think they'd been waiting for a while. And and I do remember um, them being... Normally in Sydney people say, oh, no, no, we're fine, or, you know, people don't accept help very quickly. But I remember them being really, really grateful and jumping on that offer straight away. She gave us a ride, she took us to Manly because we were going to walk after being discharged from a hospital with a baby in the basket. A week later, I checked the mail. There was this small handwritten note. I said, oh, this is the lady who gave us a, a lift. So I was over the moon. So I said, oh, at least now we know someone here. So yeah, I wrote a note and <clears throat> I think it was something like, um, let me know if you need anything because it was really cold June and I, I remember she'd been wearing, Anique was wearing sandals and I don't know if it was that time or later, but they did mention that, you know, it was much colder than they'd been expecting. And um, yeah, so it sort of grew from there and they made contact straight away and said, thank you. Yes, we'd, we'd love to be in contact. and. Yes, there are some things that we do need, and um, we had a lot of friends that helped out and donated um, clothes and bedding. And I call it an act of grace to meet Jody, then Jody connecting me to Ashley, and Ashley introducing me to her church, St. Matt in Manly. Raf literally just turned up, uh, and in God's providence, it was a Sunday where Dave Fell, who was our youth minister, was actually speaking on the whole issue of the refugee crisis. And in God's providence, a refugee asylum seeker literally walked in the building that day. And he was welcomed by the people. And we got to know Raf and got to know the family. And through the course of this, people just naturally wanted to help him. It was wonderful to find their uh, lovely people, caring people, full of compassion, empathy, who were really very supportive in various ways. Because as soon as they heard that we have a baby, a born baby, just then they, I remember uh, how they organized what they called a, a mini roster. So uh, different families from the, the, the church were uh, bringing food, cooked food, money, the nappies, the, everything we needed almost. And there's always been a very strong culture of caring for people and looking after them. And one of the immediate needs came up was um, accommodation. Um, and there was a family who actually put him up. They had a spare room, uh, which was kind of like a granny flat, and they housed him for quite a period. In a, beside, in addition to those uh, material support or financial support, they, there is a wonderful lady, for example, who quite often comes to pick our daughter up and takes her to her place. She has sleepover. She takes her to swimming. She takes her wherever she goes with her other children. So for us, that's crucial when we need that time to go to do a casual job 
to go to meet other people, to go to see a lawyer. Anik and Raf, you know, they've left families. And Anik, you know, she had a new baby and it's her first baby. And so I think it was very important to, to have people quickly that you could call on like you would call on family. Yeah. Those kind of support, the intangible things that you can't put a value on them, that uh, the sense of belonging, people were coming you into their house, inviting you for dinner, for lunch, for coffee. Those moments are crucial, but you can't put value on, on them. In terms of him trying to get his um, asylum status recognised, it was an ordeal and it's very difficult in terms of working with the legal system. And people like Raf typically have not got much resource. Um, he was highly qualified in Burundi where he came from, but here he was working any job he could get to get money and not earning really much money to cover legal fees. And people just said, we need to help this guy and help the family. And we through really a grassroots movement, people just put money in. And the end result of that was that um, after quite a long ordeal, uh, it's worth saying, and quite a few thousand dollars in legal bills, uh, there was a lot of money spent, uh, and people did it happily. Um, he was uh, received into the country as a genuine asylum seeker. It was a great story. After the whole process, we had Raphael stand up and he just wanted to thank the church. I was quite overwhelmed by it and I was a bit teary because um, I could be teary now. Because um, you see people actually living their faith out and in very tangible ways. And the thing that was most striking about the Raphael case is no one asked people to do this, they just did it. Uh, it was very organic, it was very grassroots level and care and money flowed in a way that was just, you go, this is the Spirit of God moving in people's hearts to convict people and to help people and encourage people to be God's people and to help someone in need. And that's what the Scriptures call us to do. And I remember sitting there in church listening to Raph and I was just so proud of the people. I love that story other videos like that generosityproject.com if you want to see them. Some things that um, jumped out at me in, in seeing that was first how already this church has been so generous to a family very much like that of Raf's, that being the Ukrainian family that we've been uh, helping for some time and gotten to know so well. So good job already. Uh, also he mentioned, I think they called it a meal roster, I think we call it a, a meal train or a food train. If you've ever been on the receiving end of one of those, you know what a huge blessing that really is. It might sound kind of mundane, making a meal for somebody, but especially if you ask, I say the ladies that have benefited from it, or maybe better yet, the husbands who have had their wife out of commission for a time, what a true blessing that really is. If that's a gift that you have, you know how to cook something, don't view that as like a lower kind of gift or a lower level of generosity than throwing money uh, at something. Or do you have a car, like the, the lady at the beginning with? Can you drive people somewhere? Do you have things that you can bless other people with? Or do you have a granny flat? Anybody know what a granny flat is? I think that's a term we ought to adopt right away. Um, <laughs> that's a term for a uh, house or a spare bedroom, granny flat. Also, because I love you, I'll tell you, nappies is diapers. So if you thought that was weird or something. Um, or do you have a network? Do you know people? 
you can actually be generous with people that you know. So it's like an indirect form of generosity. But like in Raf's situation, they needed a lawyer. Do you know people? And can you introduce them to one another, be the conduit to connect them, and be generous uh, in that way? So many different ways that we can show love to people. We're already a church that does that. So again, I'm, I'm not telling you something that you're not already doing. I'm hopefully giving you some additional ways to think about how you might be generous. And I want to just close with one more uh, thought here that we've touched on already. This is pretty countercultural stuff. Uh, and I know that this is against our nature. And maybe this is all sounding like a good idea, but putting it into practice isn't always easy. This does grind against our natural tendencies left to ourselves or maybe left to, to myself. Apart from the grace of God working in my life, I would want to accumulate whatever I can in any way I can for my own hedonistic desires. Forget what anybody else needs, this is mine. I earned it, it belongs to me, why should I give it to somebody else who doesn't deserve it, right? Well, I wanna reference one more verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 11:24. 24. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So apart from being countercultural, a lot of this is also like counter-logical, being generous in this way and what the Bible tells us about it. We see in the biblical model of generosity the exact reversal of what we would expect in a purely materialistic, naturalistic universe where there is no supreme authority governing all things. We would want to say, if a guy's giving away what he has, well, obviously he's diminishing has less, subtraction by subtraction, right? But Proverbs says that he who gives freely grows all the richer. Now whether that means God's gonna continue to bless you financially and monetarily along the way, that may or may not be the case, but the principle is that God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Uh, there's a story of a journalist asking this question to John D. Rockefeller, which may or may not have actually happened, um, but I think it reflects reality. The question was to John Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And the response was just a little bit more, right? The one that's consumed with money and consumed with having things that withholds giving what they ultimately ends up only wanting, only wanting more, never being satisfied. God has placed them in the one who's being faithful with the wealth that they do have, seeking to please the Lord with all of their assets, monetary or otherwise, and seeking to be generous with those around them, finding delight in bringing delight to others, that's the one who's truly living this new life in light of the new heart that we've been given by God. And that's the kind of Christian that I pray that I would become one day, and that's what I pray each and every one of you would seek to become as well for your good, for the good of your neighbor, and for the glory of God. Next week, next week we're gonna finish up this short three-week study. We're really not doing this study justice, to be honest with you. Uh, I think we're getting some copies of the Generosity Project. I would recommend you pick it up, and there's a lot more personal, personal reflection and scriptural study in there. I would recommend you do that, but we'll finish up our summary of that next week. Mike's gonna kind of continue with this theme of generosity in real life. It's gonna be a lot more practical. We'll all be blessed by it, and I look forward to that. So. Let's pray for today and we'll close and we will dismiss for second service or for you to continue your Lord's Day uh, elsewhere. Well, Lord, it's, it's humbling when we truly consider what it is that you've given to us.
It's an unfathomable, unfathomable amount of generosity you've given to us, those who are woefully undeserving of it. Lord, I pray that we would reflect on that gift and not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude for what we've been given, seek to see how we can give of ourselves for the good of our neighbors. Lord, we know there's no shortage of need in the world and we can't solve all the problems ourselves and anything we seek to do on our own will, will ultimately be fruitless. So I pray that the, your spirit would be with us, that you would guide us in seeing how we might love our neighbor, whoever it is that you put in front of us, pray that we would seek to be creatively generous in any way that we can, that we would die to self. Father, that's such a difficult thing to die to self, and, and I know that I fail at it regularly, but I know that your grace is sufficient to forgive me for those failings, and that I can, and we all can pursue doing good without fear, without condemnation under your law, but for the good of those around us and for your glory. pray that that would be our spirit in this coming week, and as we finish out the year in a time of materialism, let's turn that to a time of giving, and we seek uh, our joy in blessing others rather than simply being blessed ourselves. And Father, I also pray that we wouldn't rob others of the opportunity to be a blessing to us. I confess that I am resistant to receiving generosity, so free me from that. Uh, let me be able to be a blessing to others, and, and let us be bold enough to seek to be a blessing to others as well. Father, I pray all these things knowing that you hear them and confident that you will uh, work all things for your, your good and for our good and for your glory. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. You're